welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly eyes as 1978's Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly. Hey, Rob, how you doing? I am doing just great. We are in the groove here of the Superman movie now because we, we know that there is a Superman flying around Metropolis at this point. So this is all very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clark Kent, it, the mild-mannered reporter, is in play. Uh, we, are, we are in Metropolis, so we are in the, the setting of all pretty much all Superman stories. Yeah. Uh, so so we're, we're here. We've arrived. Uh, and today's episode, we're talking about minutes 56 through 60, which begin with Otis picking up a Daily Planet from the blind news vendor and end with Otis arriving back at Luthor's underground lair. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, as, as we, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned it last time when we had John on, but uh, uh, Mac, the uh, blind news vendor, uh, actually mentions the rocket that will come up later in yeah, the movie. Yeah, I missed that the first 500 times I've seen this movie. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was a great little detail. Yeah, so he's he's talking about the missile tests that that will uh, that come up later in the film. So that's nice, nice little bit of setup uh, there. And uh, of course, uh, Otis tells him he's picking up just picking up a Daily Planet, uh, drops the money in the cup, and uh, Shotzi, his uh, dog, <laughs> notices that Otis picks up something else. <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about Otis that he tries to steal from a blind man. You know, exactly. Like in, in that immediate, like th- five second scene, you you completely get the character. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's such. I mean, in his attire, you know. I mean, we really get a good look at it now. He's got his tie's too short; it's not even sticking into his vest. You know, it's he's he's got spats in 1978. He's got the hat. You know, I mean, he's he's a mess. I mean, let's just face it. I, this guy is. Uh, He's really something else, and, and Ned Betty plays him plays him so well. And uh, but yes, it's hilarious. The dog starts barking at him because he steals a pretzel, and of course he puts the money in. He says, "I'm, I'm getting a pretzel too," you know. <laughs> I think in another world, like Ned Beatty would have made a great um, Woozy Winks in a live action Plastic Man movie. Oh my gosh, yes, exactly. Oh man, he is. You know, and, and it's and maybe i kind of thought that as a kid because as soon as you said that i i just because I, when i was a kid i i, I felt like i kind of knew who woozy winks was from reading those plastic man comics mm-hmm. and and yeah maybe in that and that might because this informed you know so much of well everything because <laughs> i was 4 when i just turned 4 when i saw it so, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know at that point who would have been Plastic Man, but uh, Jerry Lewis was probably too old by that point. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's who immediately, pre-Jim Carrey, that's who sprung to mind mm. for, for Plastic Man. But, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's good casting. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did, you know, the cops, we've, we have the cops follow. They're following Otis as per our last episode. And uh, and actually, the other the cop that's uh, Harry who gets a lot of play in this one, uh, is an actor named Ray Hassett, and he, he one of his credits on IMDb is other rebel officer from Empire Strikes Back. So, huh? <laughs> now now what that means I don't know, but he's he, he's a rebel officer 
I, at the Hoth base, I don't know. In, in Empire Strikes Back, so I guess he would have to be right because we really don't see any of the other rebel officers once they get off Hoth. So it's got to be one of those guys, right? Because he'd either be there. Or, well, and there's no rebels otherwise. No, just, that's except, it. Yeah, oh, interesting. Except our heroes. Yeah, so he he's got some. Uh, it's got a little bit of Star Wars cred, and and I forgot to mention last time too the the actor that played the mugger. Uh, he's still active today. Uh, he was in Rogue One. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Good so, for him. Yeah. So uh, you know, down his look, Billy Crystal. He's still active today. Uh, <laughs> that looks like Billy Crystal to me. I just can't help it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, when you go through these, you know, IMDb listing of, of people and just see what what they did, it's it's. Uh, Sometimes it's like, really, that guy, and, and it's, and I'm pretty good about, oh, that's that guy from this. But if it's somebody that hasn't shown up a lot, I, I guess I'm not, you know, they're not in my brain to roll a decks of character actors to, oh, that's that guy, you know, and, and yeah. these guys, have, both of these guys have slipped under my radar. So, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get off topic a little bit. Like, I am always fascinated by like what that guy's life must be like. Like, does he, like, what? It, you know, he's been in movies now for 40 years, but like, does he have like a big house? Is he wealthy? Is he, is he just kind of like a regular, you know what I mean? Like how often is he working? Is he making a lot of money? Like, I'd love to know what that guy's. I and mean, we all know like what a big movie star's life is like, but like, mm-hmm. what about a guy like that who comes on to these big blockbusters and does like a day work? You know, what's his life? Does he go back to his regular job? Does he, is he always busy? I, I'd love to like talk to people like that. I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah, you know that's that is kind of the untold story. I mean, even even it's slightly above uh, those guys in in like popularity or you know number of of well like uh, status as far as billing. You've got the character actors that you you know you can't really say well they ever had this series or this movie, but they were featured players, you know. And those type of actors, I mean, I kind of assume that they live pretty well because they are constantly working in pretty high profile projects but these guys like the the cop and the mugger we're talking about here it does make you wonder what you know do, it would be that would be an interesting you know thing like a, a biopic about yeah. <laughs> like you know just follow especially if they could like zero in on one guy who was in so many important movies like you know he's uh He's this guy in the background in a toga in the Ten Commandments. And yeah, then right, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he walks he, he walks past the, you know, in the screen in, in a Hitchcock film, you know, or something. I mean, you know, just just and almost Forrest Gump like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, that would that would be an interesting movie if they could like f- like pick one actor that's been man, this guy was in so many incredible movies. And, and, and maybe there has been a movie like that, but I, I'd like to see it just to get an idea of what their life is like. <laughs> there is an extraordinary amount of overlap between the Star Wars movies and the Superman movies, probably because they were shot, both shot in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they used a lot of the same people. I mean, everyone knows that what uh, John Ratzenberger, of course, from Cliff Clavin from Cheers is in Superman two and in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, right. So, but I mean, there's a lot, you a lot of these small guys like on the Star Wars minute show, they will constantly be talking about some actor who plays, as you mentioned, like, you know, other rebel soldier and they'll go through his credits and it's like, you'll, it, it's like a who's who of like genre stuff. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, he was in Superman. He was in Star Trek two. He was in James Bond. Like, 
they because all these big ticket movies were basically shot around the same time in basically the same areas, and there yeah. there are, there are way less actors in England than there are in America. So you do see a lot of the overlap. I mean, it's if you wanted to you wanted to cheat. And just say, you know, like, let's total up this guy's box office performance. This guy's like one of the biggest box office stars in the world because his movies have made $10 billion. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, there's that that documentary that, uh, what is it, Elstree 77 or whatever about the Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, All the Star Wars, from bit players to David Prowse. I mean, you know, so uh, it's it's quite fascinating because, you know, and they did just, you know, and a lot of those people, you know, for me, they show up in Hammer movies, you know, because right, right, uh, right, right. they're all, you know, the they were all in England around the same time and all a lot of them English actors. And they worked at Elstree Studios or in this case, Pinewood, where Superman was filmed, where all right. the James Bond movies were right. filmed. And so you get a lot of crossover with James Bond. And uh, and actually, John Ratzenberger is in this movie because he's at the Missile Command. Uh, he's oh, one of the guys. Right, right. Yeah. So he's in both. He's at he's at uh, NASA. Or, you know, and, and Houston, he's in Houston in, uh, <laughs> in Superman 2, and uh, he's at Missile Control here. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, – John Ratzenberger would – well, aside from Cheers, he's got Cheers. But he would be a good guy to, like, see a – like, either a documentary or a biopic on because he – he's been in so many things. I mean, even the Pixar yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's, he's like the Pixar good luck guy, I think they call him. Yeah, so <laughs> – wow, we got way off topic. We did. There, I, I apologize, guys. I didn't mean to derail the show. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah, speaking of – we're following the cops. I really like that You know, it cuts away from us following Otis and stuff, and then we see a cityscape for just a split second, and we think, oh, we're back outside. No, it's just a mural of the city. That's a great uh, shot. I love that shot. <laughs> yeah, and the two cops, uh, Richard Donner's cousin and uh, this is the Hassett guy – come into a uh, frame and uh, it's, it's a nice little trick. You know, I, I like that little uh, Richard Donner having a little fun with the, with the, uh, the camera there basically yeah. and playing around. Um, and one thing I, it's, it, I thought it was interesting. And I mean, you, you know, this area much better than I, but it's, it's funny that Metropolis really is New York yeah, city. I was going <laughs> to mention that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because you hear the train conductor, and all the cities he's calling out are New York cities. He's like, Syracuse, Poughkeepsie, and you're like, wait a minute, where the hell is Metropolis? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, and later we get the flyby of the Statue of Liberty, and yeah. I mean, you can say, okay, well, they flew over to New York. No, I, I think this is literally, they're, they, you know, in this universe, New York City is Metropolis. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, and, and, and people make the distinctions now between Gotham and Metropolis, and they'll say, well, Gotham's either – it's supposedly, according to the DC Atlas from the Mayfair role-playing game, it's somewhere in New Jersey. So there you go, Rob. <laughs> That's so perfect. <laughs> of course it is. The hell-ridden, the hell, hell-ridden crapscape that is Gotham City is located in New Jersey. <laughs> Of course, if they did it now, they'd probably say it's Detroit, uh, you know. So maybe, but but but, uh, uh, but yeah. But see, back then in the in the seventies, uh, Gotham had had yet to been per, be portrayed as him. It and Metropolis were pretty much interchangeable. Right. You know, the, the one wasn't any worse than the other, really. And uh, so, sure, Metropolis is is New York, and it wasn't until 
like Frank Miller and, and then the, the Tim Burton movie cemented that, that uh, Gotham was hell on earth, you know, basically. So <laughs> I just think it's interesting now because we think about, you know, maybe uh, I've heard people say uh, Metropolis is, you know, apparently it's somewhere like in Delaware or Delaware, something on the DC, right, yeah. yeah, on the DC Atlas. So some people say, well, it's more like Chicago and then, and, you know, and then, and, and uh, Metropolis and uh, Gotham is more like New York or it's New Jersey, you know, somewhere in New Jersey is, I, so I don't know, but it's, it's, it's just interesting how times have changed. And back then, Oh, sure. Metropolis is New York. So, uh, um, I liked, uh, you know, Otis is, uh, balancing on the rail as he's walking down yeah. and, and, you know, this, this neat little, you get the idea that Otis does this every day. I mean, yeah. this is what, you know, this is how he, you know, goes out and gets, you know, he eats, uh, a, I think it's a piece of pizza he's eating. It's hard to tell when they first see him. And then he grabs a pretzel, and then as he's coming through, he, he eats a bag of candy that's in his pocket. <laughs> so he just goes out and, you know, does these, uh, you know, eats and whatever. He picks up a bill, he picks up a paper for Lex. And, uh, you know, in no internet back then. Uh, so he picks up a paper for Lex, and, and uh, but this is the routine he goes through. But, yeah, Otis... Uh, those cops are pretty close to him several times. I mean, the, the, they'll show like the above shot. I mean, they're literally like maybe what, like four, you know, oh maybe maybe like a, a you know a, a yard behind him or something like that. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, of course that's that's Otis, but yeah, so yeah, so that's, that's his uh, commute to work every morning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know, you brought this up last time. Uh, with the French connection uh, idea, this, this segment here, especially where Harry follows him down into the, to the subway, this really does feel like a gritty seventies cop drama. I mean, it's, it, it's shot that way. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, again, this movie is uh, under, under lesser hands. uh, I don't think this movie would have worked because people would have said, well, this movie's too schizophrenic. It can't decide if it wants to be a, this sterile sci-fi flick or this heartwarming, you know, uh, nod to the past with Smallville or this gritty, you know, urban drama or this romantic comedy, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing that, that it works, but it, it does (laughs) obviously, or we wouldn't be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for, for a movie that's aimed uh, at kids, ostensibly at families at the very least, uh, the scene where we're, Harry gets pushed off in front of a train is pretty brutal. And I remember being a kid and, and finding that sequence horrific. And I've mentioned this on other episodes of other movies, uh, other podcasts that I've done. But to me, it's like the worst idea to me of uh, the worst thing of hell on earth would be for the you to know you're about to die. Like the last mm-hmm. 90 seconds knowing it's coming. That to me is just awful. And so when, when the cop, crawls into the little alcove because he's trying to find Otis and he can't figure out where Otis went. And then Lex, uh, well, who will find out that it's Lex, but some mysterious hand reverses the control and starts pushing him out. That's that, that has a real grit to it because you're like, this guy knows he's about to get run over by a train and, 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 and and there's no, there's no last second reprieve. He just dies. He gets pushed out and he gets run over by a train, which is, brutal and it's like yeah again for a movie aimed at kids they're not shying away from that that's this this guy I mean, we don't see it we don't need to see it but you just see the the, the torn up hat it's like that's a 
like it's a great intro for Lex because we're like, yeah. this guy is not dicking around. No, and it and I love the you know the the guy the Harry the the cop he uh, he closes his eyes because he knows what's coming and yeah. then it shoves him out and he screams and then that's it. I mean it, it and that is a I mean it, and it's all left to your imagination. But you just imagine it's just awful. Uh, what an awful way to go. And like you said, to know you're going and and to Lex to just, you know, he turns that key and then slowly pushes that out. I mean, he's like manually, almost manually pushing it because yep. you know, it's not it's, it's he's push sliding it up as that those hydraulics push that door out. And uh, oh, man, and Miss Tessmacher looks back at him. <laughs> you know, you get that brief, brief little uh, uh, shot of Miss Tessmacher looking back at him as he's doing it like. I can't believe you're doing this, you know, type yeah, thing. And, yeah. and, uh, and that's, that's the thing is, and of course we meet Lex and we hear him before we see him because he says that line about, you know, uh, you know, his, uh, body generating, his brain generating enough money to, to keep those legs moving. Yeah. To keep those legs moving. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting because we also heard, we heard Hackman, we just heard Hackman before we saw him. And we briefly heard Brando before we saw him at the beginning of the movie. So both of the the uh, the the marquee stars in this film got to uh, you got to hear their voice first before you uh, saw them on screen. So I thought that was kind of a, a nice little touch. It's like kind of reserved for, of course, I guess with Christopher Reeve you did too because you heard him and saw Jeff East. So right, right. yeah, that's true. Though. I never really thought of that, but it's I think it's a nice way of giving you the illusion that you're seeing the actor more than you're really seeing him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably so much easier to get your main actor or your big star to record a couple of lines of voiceover, and then you can sprinkle them throughout the movie, and it it makes you feel like the character is more present than they really are. Uh, so I never really, I never really thought about that. But um, just to, in terms of the line about the power, you know, the brain generating enough power to keep those legs moving, I have to once again talk about the commentary track. And Tom Mankiewicz tells a great story that many years later, like in the '90s, he was on vacation in Hawaii, and he was leaving. He was checking out, and he's signing the bill at the desk, and he hears a voice behind him say. It's amazing that that brain can generate enough power to keep that pen moving. And he turns around, and it was Gene Hackman. <laughs> and he was like, Mankiewicz was so like impressed that he that Hackman remembered the line, you know. And he's like, oh, I thought that's great. Like, what? A, <laughs> how awesome would that be if you happen to be a Superman fan and you're just in the lobby of like the the Honolulu Hilton or something, and there's Lex Luthor talking to the screenwriter of Superman. Like, oh my god, this is so cool. <laughs> that that is awesome, and yeah, the fact that and that. To me, that shows. I think, you know, I think Hackman's a little. You know, you, 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 it wouldn't surprise you if Hackman kind of didn't really. You know, I, I mean, not that he would look down at his Superman role, but just kind of distance himself. But I mean, he has been on like you know the special features, and they've interviewed him and stuff. So it's nice to see that an actor who went on to have an incredible career beyond this. I mean, he had a credible, incredible career before this, but he had one incredible one beyond this. That he still, you know, had pretty fond memories of of it enough to talk about it, you know. So I, I it, that's nice to see. I that kind of reminded me. I, I saw one thing. I saw where uh, Terrence Stamp, he was like walking down a street in New York or something, and some guy stopped him. Like, 
you're that you're that general guy from Superman, and and he like instantly went into character, and he's like, "Kneel before me," you know. Oh my god, that's so cool! He just just started dressing him down, you know, and went into Zod mode, and and the way and the way he did it in the interview, it's like because Terrence Stamp has this you know incredible intensity to him anyway, and it's like, oh my god, I would probably just I would like I would kneel before this I guy. Would. Oh my god, how would you not want a photo of yourself kneeling in front of Zod? Like that's your right. photo, man. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Makes me feel so good that he's like just totally in love with it and embraces it. You know that he knows that people love him for that. That's great. Yeah, I, I love I love his I love his general Zod. I know we really won't get to it in this show, but God, I love his general Zod. He's so great. Great. One of the, I would I would you know I'd have to maybe this is maybe a conversation for another episode. And I'd have to rack my brain to make sure I'm not missing anybody. But I would really I think I would put in terms of the geek canon. I would put uh, Terrence Stamp as Zod second only to Darth Vader in terms of the great villain performances. I yeah, I'd write, I'd be right there with you. I mean, maybe there's somebody we're we're missing, but there's right, like that's not- what I'm thinking. I'm like, I might, there might be somebody I'm forgetting, but just off the top of my head, I'm like, to me, Vader is the only one that looms larger in terms of the best dark bad villain in all of like these geek movies. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could say some of the guys from like uh, uh, the Belloc from Raiders or something, He's but up he there. does. He's He's, he doesn't have the power, you know. He doesn't yeah. have the command. He's more of a slimy kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. As far as like the super powerful, you know, bad guys of all time. Yeah, Zod is. He's he's definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, and then of course uh, we meet Miss Tessmacher. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, look. As we all know, like you know, I I try and refrain from being a little. T- being, you know, real hubba hubba on, on my shows, but hubba hubba, you know, I mean, <laughs> she just, first of all, I mean, she, as we know from the Superman treasury edition, she was a former go-go dancer. That's something we've yes. learned thanks to DC mm-hmm. comics. Uh, yes. but, and I mean, she's built just like a Mack truck and they, <laughs> Yvonne Blake put her in the most amazing outfit. I mean, the outfit that she's wearing with that peekaboo, the, the boob window, basically, the Power Girl boob window, and it's mm-hmm. it's got a cape, and it's glittery. Yeah. Like, it ha- it serves no logistical purpose as to why she would be dressed like that, other than she's just really egocentric, and she wants to look great, and boy, does she. Oh, my God. She is so phenomenal looking in this movie. Yeah, I mean, honestly, her costume... It's fantastic. It actually looks a little bit like the the Zod in Ursa and Nine a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of that. So it's like, is she a Zod groupie? No, of course she's not. But it, <laughs> but, it, but it has those. Uh, it has that look. And and yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not honestly. I, you know, I like I said, I was four when I saw this, and and I, I I'm not kidding. But this was probably like the first like sexy woman I remember really being exposed to. Yeah. Where you know. It's like Wonder Woman was on TV. I watch that every week. And, of course, Linda Carter's beautiful, and her outfit's pretty revealing. But they didn't portray her that way. I mean, you know, right, right. They, they didn't. And, and, you know, and I, you know, I watched Batgirl on Batman, Yvonne Craig, and, you know, that, all those three women seminal, you know, uh, <laughs> it, before I even knew what uh, what that uh, – why did – why do I feel, you know, weird about this? You know, that type of thing. I feel so, differently about Batgirl than I do Batman and Robin. I can't exactly explain it, yes. but I know that I do. There's something about her. I like, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but yeah, this was the first one where it was like, okay, that is her. This is her, this, that's her function, really, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and uh, 
And uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, she's yeah. the Bond girl. Uh, she's the Bond girl of this movie. She is. She's. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, as you mentioned, like her, her first, her first line is "sick." You're really sick. So right then and there, we know she's not as bad as Lex Luthor. She's. Yeah. She's, she's with him, but she's not completely with him because she's horrified that what he did, and also the way Richard Donner frames her in the shot. It's definitely from the male gaze. Every shot you see of her, her chest is always included. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not from the neck up; it's from the basically the the rib cage up. So we're mm-hmm. de- we're 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 de- it's designed for us to look at her adoringly. You know, like whoa, this is wow, this is some visual interest here compared to say Ned Beatty and Gene Hackman. <laughs> so she and she's got the cigarette holder, like she's got this kind of classy sort of vibe going on, and it's like a girl that. You know, he's her sugar daddy, basically. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's there's there's something about her that well, I, I think we know what it is about her that yes. he keeps her around. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's because you know he fusses at her for don't touch that, don't touch that. You know. I love and, how he uh, yells at people. Oh my god! <laughs> get away! Get away! Get away from there! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Screams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you instantly get the relationship. Oh, I mean, yeah. and she's and she's like like she puts up with him because you know he is the sugar daddy, as you said, but. She's like, does, you know, why do you know, millions of people have to die for the crime of the century? And, you know, and, and you know, he's, you know, Lexus, you know, runs through all these. Well, why did the, why do these bad things happen? And blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just it just happens. And and uh, it's it's a really I mean, even though we don't get that deep into uh, their introduction into this segment, we know enough about them right now from this. I mean, we kind of uh, that that's one thing this movie is great about. It establishes the characters so quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, and so deftly. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, yeah. that's, uh, I got to give that, uh, a lot of that to Micah once for, uh, you know, his, uh, his, 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 uh, script, uh, heavy script doctoring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would call it script surgeoning almost at this point, how much he did to it. Yeah. I mean, they, just the idea that Luthor compares millions of people dying to the phone ringing while you're in the bathtub shows you what little regard he has for human life, that he would make that as a comparison. Well, see, and that's the thing. I mean, other, I know people have, you know, over the years and even, even, even myself at times, I have been known to say, you know, that, uh, Gene Hackman's Lex is, you know, some people have even said he's a little campy or something like that, but it's really, he's really not because he's just, he is just so self-involved that he has a sense of humor about the awful stuff he's doing because he just doesn't care what right. it does to other people. He literally does not care. He just kind of laughs it off and says, well, that's what I'm going to do. And just, you know, and I think that's, you know, and, and there was like really no, in the comics, there had been so many different interpretations of Lex at this point that, you know, they could go in several different directions. And this, this direction's not, an invalid way to go. I mean, it's certainly more believable for this movie than him showing up in his challenge of the super friends outfit, you know, oh with, his jet, yeah, with his jet boots, <laughs> his jet boots. I mean, as much as I love that outfit, I do works in the comic books and on the cartoon, but you know, here, yeah, it, it would have been laughable, you know? So, yeah. uh, at this time and stuff. So, yeah. And then, and then of course we get your favorite, we get the shot of Mussolini. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> what a great piece of art detail. I guess that's John Barry. I don't know. I mean, he was the set designer. I don't know how involved he got with the props, but that is such a great detail. Again, tells you talk about definitely tells you everything you need to know about Lex Luthor that he has a picture of Mussolini <laughs> in his office. 
evil bald guy, you know, in his <laughs> And that's kind of a nice hint to Lex being bald, which we, you know, we'll we keep, you know, Lex obviously, as everybody knows who watches this, Lex Luthor, of course, traditionally seen as he's a bald man. Here, Gene Hackman has his, I assume in this shot, it looks like his natural hair at the time. Uh, it, it might not be, but it looks like it. So uh, he's got a full head of hair. So we'll, we'll as we go through the movie, we'll see. And, and then, of course, later on, we get, that nice, uh, we get that nice moment at the end of the movie that'll mm-hmm. call all back to all this. But we won't, we won't spoil it in case you haven't seen it. <laughs> it's, it's such a great way of letting you know that Luthor is bald without making Hackman appear bald is that you see all, we're getting into a later minute, but like you, that, you know, you'll, we'll eventually see all the wigs and -hmm. you're like, Oh, okay. It's perfect. It's a, it's a very elegant solution to dealing with a kind of difficult actor, you know, who was like, I'm not shaving my head. I'm not going to wear a bald cap. Okay. Well then we can suggest his baldness in another way. It's brilliant. I mean, like we said, I, don't, I think we, I don't know if we mentioned it on, uh, on this show or we mentioned it on film and water, but you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, it took Richard Donner, like basically faking him out to get him to shave right. his mustache. Right. So <laughs> Richard Donner, man, I just, I just, I love that guy so much. <laughs> Somebody should make a movie about Richard Donner. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know who you'd have play Richard Donner, but, uh, I would, I mean, I would love to see a movie about, you know, Richard Donner, of course, he's still with us. You know, it's like he could, I don't know if he, you know, he could, he could cameo at the end as himself, you know, as <laughs> now or something. But, you know, it's, I would, I would pay money to see a Richard Donner biopic, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this segment, of course, it ends, uh, you know, Lex mentions he's surrounded by nincompoops and in walks Otis. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> So this is Otis's journey, really. I mean, he picks up the paper for Lex in this segment, and then he brings it to him. At the, of course, we don't see it hand him hand it to him, but he walks in with it. Uh, so that that's uh, that's kind of what this segment, uh, this this uh, five minute segment's all about. And and like we said, it establishes everybody very well. And uh, we know Lex is a genius. He's got all this. He's got this headquarters under the subway. Nobody knows about. He's got. You know, he's got a sneaky secret way of getting into it, and also it's a way to get rid of uh, uh, nosy cops and things like that. So, I mean, it's uh, it's establishing the the villain of the piece very, very well. Yeah, it would have made a uh, his 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 lair would have made a great Mego playset. You know, you could oh. have like the secret entrance. You know, where you could put your action figure up against it. You push the door, and it it collapses in, and you pull him in through. That would have been so cool. But as we all know. Uh, and this is uh, the topic for another episode, why there were no specific Superman movie Miko toys. So we just uh, – something we did, we all missed out on. I'm going to speak kind of blasphemous here and I, as much – being a Mego guy. But but based on their success with uh, with uh, their playsets, I think like if Kenner had the license to Superman the movie in 1978, that they would have probably done something like that, like the Cantina playset. Or, you know, it would have been partially cardboard, partially plastic. Oh, sure, and, yeah. You know, I, I could actually see this, you know, and of course the fortress. And and uh, then they could have just, you could have done the fortress and reused the base for the Hoth playset later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're thinking like a toy production, a toy production company, Chris. Yeah, I mean, that's how they, I mean, well, they took the they took the Cantina playset, redressed it, and made it to... Uh, the uh, saloon from the uh, uh, the Butch and Sundance, Sundance, the early days, 
toy line that bombed like the movie did. (laughs) Hard to believe kids didn't want to see a a, a prequel to a movie that was 10 years old about cowboys. Yeah, they don't want to see William Cat playing Robert Redford, you know. Kids (laughs) love Tom Barringer. They just do. They do? (laughs) Well, I think that'll probably wrap it up for these five minutes. What do you think? I think so. I think we're, we're, we're moving forward to where, you know, again, it's we're, all the pieces are falling into place. We've got our heroes and now we've got our villains. We do. We're, 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 we, all the, all the, uh, all the pieces are on the board now, so to speak. So we're, we're, uh, we're, it's really exciting. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed all of it, you know, what we've talked about, but uh, now we're, now we're getting into the, into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of things here. It's it's good stuff. So, Rob, you want to tell folks where they can find you on the interwebs? Well, uh, all my shows, like Superman Movie Minute, are on our network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And I do Treasury Cast and Firewater and Pod Dylan and Treasury Cast and too many other shows. And, of course, Chris and I also do the Power Records podcast once in a while. And you can always follow our show over on Twitter at Superman uh, Move Men, I believe is the the handle, and there we are constantly sort of retweeting and interacting with all the other movies by minute shows and having lots of conversations. Some some very exciting about uh, Superman movie goings on. So uh, please mm-hmm. please follow us over there. And also, of course, uh, we always ask you that you go and follow Star Wars Movie Minute. Uh, If you haven't already listened to that show, that's by Pete DeRetailer and Alex Robinson, who, of course, are so generous with allowing uh, a bunch of knuckleheads like us to borrow their Movies by Minute format. So make sure you listen to that. I'm sure any of you listening to this already do listen to Star Wars Minute. But in case you don't, go ahead and, and go listen to that show. It's terrific. Yes, most definitely. Check it out. And uh, as for me, you know, I'm on the network here too. I'm on Supermates with my wife Cindy, Nightcast with Ryan Daly, and occasionally do a Wonderful Toys episode where we probably won't ever discuss the uh, Butch and Sundance toy line because <laughs> I don't own it, any of Damn it. it. So, <laughs> I know. I've been tempted sometimes because I do have some of the Gabriel Legend of the Lone Ranger little figures, and they. <laughs> An equally bad movie, but that's God, worthy of an episode, Chris. Come on, God, you know what? I could do a movie by minute on that. I mean, that's that's that's. I, I actually love that movie, even though I know it's not that great. But there's just something about it. It's like everything about it should be really great, but except the actor playing the Lone Ranger. But that's another. That's a that's whole, a whole other, other. Yeah, yeah. Whole that's other. a whole other show. We should do a. We should do a film and water on that at least, or something at some point. But Clinton Spilsbury. <laughs> Clinton Spilsbury for the win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, that'll do it for this episode of Superman the Movie Minute. Come back next week, and we will discuss five more minutes of Superman the Movie as we get closer and closer to Superman's big night out. See you later. Bye. Bye. It's safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night. Night.